everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of What You Think Doesn't Matter. This week, I'm going to take you all inside the real-life functions of a correctional facility. Coming from my own personal experience as a uh, correctional officer, all the way up to my duties as a correctional lieutenant, I'll give you an insight of what it was like working in a prison every day. Uh, we'll talk about various custody levels uh, to include administrative segregation and uh, solitary confinement and what those departments are actually used for and uh, why we would place an offender into segregation or or uh, solitary confinement. Because um, the general public, for the most part, really do not know what it's like working in a prison. Um, they just think that we send the inmates there and then we know we abuse them by taking away their stuff and, you know, treat them like animals and so on and so forth. Well, I'm hoping this week I'll be able to give you a little bit of insight as to um, what it's really like. And I uh, try to get you to understand the mentality of what it takes to work in a correctional environment surrounded by various types of criminals uh, from drug dealers to sex offenders to serial killers and flat out murderers. So uh, join me on this venture. Um, and hopefully by the time we're done, um, you'll have a better understanding of what it's like, uh, what it's like working behind the walls. The first step that happens uh, when somebody is sentenced to prison um, after their conviction is they have to go through what's called an intake process. Okay. Uh, when that offender goes through that intake process, everything about them is questioned, looked into, and identified um, from their parents, if they know who they are, um, where they were born, their socioeconomic backgrounds, where they lived, how they grew up, how were they raised, were they raised in a broken family, were they raised in foster care. They go through a physical exam, physical examination. Um, they got to go through a mental evaluation to determine if there's any level of mental illness, and if so, what it is, and then that right there enables the uh, intake counselors, um, which are certified and licensed social workers or psychological counselors, psychologists, and a psychiatrist, uh, to determine what their needs are while they're incarcerated to help them rehabilitate. Um, so, And when they're placed in intake, um, that is a form of segregation. Uh, they are not released to general population probably for at least the first 90 days because uh, during that process, we need to know who we're dealing with. Um, we just can't send somebody out on the yard not knowing anything about them, not knowing if they have any relatives on the yard, not knowing if they have any known enemies on the yard, not knowing if they have any rival gang members on the yard, not putting a sex offender in the general population. So a whole thing, a whole lot of things go into uh, classifying an offender for releasing the general population. Um, like I said, we just don't receive them and kick them out. And the intake process is uh, pretty lengthy and very um intense and we know anything and everything there is about the inmate before cutting them loose so to speak into general population once that's done an offender will be classified into th different types of custody levels from a minimum custody being assigned to a trustee camp where they have minimal to no restrictions um, to a work camp uh, which is basically the offender is free to come and go to their job every day as long as they check in at the required or prescribed times at the end of the day um, to all the way up to maximum custody, at which point they are the highest level, which requires the highest um, form of security or protection based on their offense, based on their tendency to commit violence, uh, based on their personal and psychological history. Um, so the intake process is a very important and key tool that is needed to ensure the, the safety of staff and inmates. 
So that's the first step that an offender will go through uh, when coming into prison. Kind of on a side note here, uh, people say, you know, well, first time felons, he's never been in the system before. He should be treated, you know, differently or or something like that. Well, let me give you a little little bit of information, okay? A high percentage, probably, I don't know the exact numbers, but probably in the 90 percentile of it of offenders that are sentenced to incarceration in adult prison have been there before or at the very least have criminal records lengthy misdemeanor type crimes but they have been given multiple chances to rehabilitate on themselves to stay out of trouble get out of trouble and they have failed to do that so by the time they come to us in prison that's basically public and the judge saying we've had enough of your shit it's time for you to go to jail for a while so the days of first-time felons, other than most capital offenses, doesn't exist. The first-time felon just doesn't exist anymore. And when I say a first-time felon, I'm talking about somebody who may have gone out, got drunk, and killed somebody, and now they're doing you know a life a lifetime sentence for for that murder. Or he got or a first-time felon um, got jammed up with a dope charge for the first time, and it was a serious enough offense to actually get prison time for that. So the days of the first time felon are pretty much gone. Most people who are incarcerated in the prison have got lengthy uh, rap sheets and society's tired of dealing with them. So they send them to prison for a while. Okay. The next custody level above uh, minimum custody where the vast majority of offenders are residing is in medium custody. Medium custody it basically means that the offender lives within their correctional facility, within the yard, surrounded by fences. Um, and in some places there are guard towers, other places maybe not, depending on their layout. Uh, but the vast majority of offenders sentenced to prison are assigned to medium custody. That is where they are basically told when to eat, sleep, shit, and go to the bathroom every day. Um, everything's on a schedule. Everything's on a routine. They're told when they can go to store, how much money they can spend in the store um, per week or month, depending on that facility's rules. They're told to when to go to school, when to get a job. They're basically living the life under the rule of the prison, very much like a soldier or a service member on active duty. They're being told every day how to live, and same thing with the inmates. That is a where a majority of those incarcerated in state prison or jail is classified. They're classified as a medium custody offender. And it's basically a city within a city. Um, and like with everything, all the privileges that they get, they do have rights. They do have things that they are entitled to by federal mandate and federal law. But here's the key word here. The key word here is opportunity. Okay. The prisons are only required to provide offenders opportunity to take advantage of what they're allowed to have. Okay. And when I, when I say by, when I say opportunity, that means an offender's actions can dictate whether or not they will receive or they will be allowed to receive their amenities. There are certain things that we cannot take away, like law library. We cannot take away their access to the law library. Period. That's a federal statute. However, if they are abusing it, we can limit their access to law library. We can't take it away from them completely, but we can limit it. Basically, the bottom line is the correctional facility has the authority to limit their access to their entitlements based on the needs and safety of the facility. 
And a lot of people don't seem to understand that or they just seem to forget it. So if an inmate is told, no, they can't get something or no, they can't have something and they think it's in violation of the rules and policies, the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to ask them, well, what did you do to get that taken away from you? And of course, the inmate's going to respond with nothing. I didn't do anything. The officer's just being a meanie and she decided to take it away from me because they can't. You know, that's one of the things we deal with on a daily basis, dealing with the inmates. And then we got then the, the supervisors, and as a lieutenant, I've revealed many of these phone calls, family members calling in and saying, why isn't little Johnny getting his lunchtime? Well, I have to explain to them, little Johnny was being an asshole, and due to the safety and security of the facility, he was denied access to his lunch. So we gave him a paper lunch inside his cell. Okay. And when I say a paper paper lunch, I actually mean a sack lunch, like what you would take to school as a kid, a little PB&J sandwich in a paper bag. Right, So he wasn't denied his lunchtime. He wasn't denied his meals. He was limited as to what he got and how he got it. So, uh, but again, you know, when little Johnny calls his family, little Johnny's going to call the family and saying he didn't do anything wrong. It's all staff's fault. Well, little Johnny didn't bother to tell his family that he was being a little shithead um, because he was refusing to follow orders or whatever the case may be. And that's where it got his access to the, uh, dining room taken away from him and that's why he got fed in his house a little sack lunch so but a lot of people don't know that a lot of people don't hear that an offender's actions are directly proportionate to how he is treated see what a lot of people don't understand is inmates just like us in everyday society inmates are expected and required to act a certain way Uh, maintaining the rules of the facility. Just like us out here in the free world, we're required to follow the law. There are rules to society that we need to follow. If we don't follow those laws or those rules, we get in trouble for it. It's the same thing with dealing with inmates in a prison. If they don't follow the rules, there are repercussions for their actions. And usually it's taking away certain amenities related to their actions. For example, I had an offender's girlfriend come and try to smuggle cigarettes and lighters into the prison facility. And at that point in time, after the investigation, everything was done, he was actually banned from receiving visitations for, I forget how long it was for a period of time. And that visitor was removed indefinitely from his visitation list. That offender was also placed into segregation, which we will talk about here in a little bit, uh, during the course of the investigation. So, um, Again, did we purposely take away his access to visitation? Yes. Were we wrong in doing so? No, we weren't. Because it was determined that him having access to visitation at that particular moment in time was a a risk to the safety and security of the institution. So, yes, there are guidelines, there are rules that have been outlined by the federal government that says prisons must provide offenders with certain amenities. However, they can be modified to ensure the safety and the security of the facility. Okay, we just can't take away their stuff without without cause. Just like a police officer on the street just can't come into your house and take your shit without a reason. Correctional officers are the same way. We just can't mess with an offender and take his amenities or his property or his stuff away without a reason. And that reason has to be directly related to the actions that we're taking. You know, and another argument that I hear all the time from the public, well, inmates have rights. You know, we need to follow those rights. Well, you know what? Yeah, you're right. The inmate does have rights that we need to be respected and followed. But you know what? To me, that's treating an inmate like like a king. Because was that inmate thinking about their victim's rights when they committed their crime? No, that inmate was just thinking about himself. 
But now he got in trouble for thinking about himself, and now he wants everybody to patronize him. Well, you know what? In a prison environment, a good officer will only give the offender what he's allowed to have or required to have by law. Nothing more, nothing less. And if the offender gets pissed off about that, guess what? He can write himself a little letter down to the state capitol or wherever he is, and he can complain about how the how the, the federal rules and guidelines don't apply to him. Well, that's his gig. Um, but no, we don't violate inmates' rights. Well, let me digress. We're not supposed to violate inmates' rights, okay? Um, inmates do have inalienable rights that we cannot violate. And if I found any one of my officers that were purposely violating inmates' rights— they were dealt with accordingly. We had a job to do, and we did our job. We did it professionally. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay, now the next level from medium custody that we're going to get into is one that's been a topic of uh, controversy for several years now, um, and that's segregation, administrative segregation. Okay, There are different types of segregation in a prison system, right? Uh, administrative segregation being just that. It's an administrative level. In other words, uh, an offender may be placed into administrative segregation pending an investigation into an offense or um, some other issue, but he's there basically on a temporary basis until an investigation is completed to determine A, why he was there and what needs to happen with the offender based on the outcome of that investigation. So administrative get segregation is only a temporary assignment. From there, that that offender will be reclassified based on new information, and if it is determined that the offender is a threat to the safety and the security of the investigation or correction of the facility, then he may be assigned to what's called a disciplinary segregation. Okay, That means the investigation showed that the offender violated rule or policy or did something, and therefore, as a punitive action, needs to be placed in segregation for a period of time as a form of punishment. And when you go into segregation, at that what you would normally receive in amenities out on the regular yard are now even more restricted and limited, um, more so because of the size of the segregation units are smaller than population, so they're limited in the amount of property they're allowed to have. Um, the only education or schooling they're allowed to have is through correspondence education. Um, access to the law library has to be made by appointment. And they only get that one day a week. They're only allotted so many hours a week to um, go to law library. Um, rec time is limited to, depending on your facility, um, in most cases, rec time is limited to an hour a day, every day, one hour a day. And some facilities, that would include shower time, but in most facilities, it would be in addition to their shower time. They would be allowed to come out and get a shower um, some facilities, it's every day, but the federal requirement is one shower every three days. That is the federal guideline. And in most cases, most prisons actually exceed the minimum federal requirements when it comes to giving offenders their amenities. All right. So for an offender to come out and say he's being treated harshly, well, when you look at stuff compared to what's actually required by the government, the inmates are being, being treated fairly leniently. Okay, they're actually getting a hell of a lot more than what the federal government has actually stated we're required to give them. So let's keep that in mind. And the problem today is offenders are becoming more and more spoiled every day because it seems like they're they're demanding and getting more and more amenities every day. Well, prison, in my opinion, prison nowadays is not a deterrent like it used to be. Now it's a place where criminals go to learn how to be better criminals. Because in my opinion, they're being coddled. They're being allowed to get way too much shit. And 
they're being believed more than what staff is being believed when it comes to how they're being dealt with. And like I said, that that's my opinion. I'm sure it varies from place to place um, and person to person based on their experiences at the facilities they work at. But uh, I can remember back when I first got started in corrections, prison was a deterrent. It wasn't meant to be an easy life. Basically, you were lived by a structure and you were required to follow that structure. And if you didn't, you got pulled out of population. You got placed into segregation because you were a management problem. See, people just don't get put into segregation without a reason. There has to be a reason. And it's, once again, directly proportioned to that offender's actions. If that offender is being violent, he was involved in a fight, he's a known problem, he's a known management issue, he's going to be placed in more secure housing where we can get better control of him and better manage his uh, his activities and his actions. We're going to take away the stuff from him that he's manipulating or that he's abusing. We're going to make sure he does not have any access to anything that he can use against other inmates or staff. That is the purpose of placing him in segregation or disciplinary segregation. And he will be there based on the offense. So, um, so is it as hard as it, as people make it out to be? No, it's not as bad as people think it is, but it isn't designed to be easy either. So, I mean, if an inmate goes to, when an inmate comes to prison, if he wants to just do his time and get out, he needs to follow the rules, stay free from getting written up. Um, basically play nice, bottom line, play nice. All right. So from, from disciplinary segregation, we get the most controversial form of segregate segregation, and that is solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is the highest level of security in a prison facility. That basically means the offender is assigned to a single person cell by themselves. Yes, these cells do have windows. Don't believe the media out there saying, oh, they don't have access to sunlight. Yes, they do. Um, just about everybody that is assigned to isolation is there because they are the highest risk offenders. They are the most violent offenders. If we did not have segregation to house these violent offenders, then prison would basically be a gladiator ring. It would be survival of the fittest. And that would be included with staff. You would not hire enough people to work in a prison yard if we did not have segregation. Okay. There are offenders out there, people out there who cannot live among population because they are a danger to other inmates. They are straight up the most evil type of predators in a prison. And so therefore they have to be in solitary confinement because that is the only way that we can protect them and everybody else. And they have to be And in solitary confinement. They get the bare minimum of amenities, bare minimum. Every time they come out of their house, they are in full chains. They are in belly chains and they are in leg irons. They are escorted with a minimum of two officers, sometimes a super two officers and a supervisor, depending on where they're going and what they're doing. So um, there is a reason for offenders to be placed in um, solitary confinement. And it's usually not the best of reasons. Usually they're there because A, they've done something so violent or so heinous, they need to be there, or B, they're just straight up crazy. They are nuttier than a fruit basket and they cannot be trusted in general population. Now, psychological research has said that prolonged life inside of isolated isolation can lead to mental, mental illness, which you're not going to get an argument from me out of that. It can, it does happen. Um, we as human beings by nature are pack animals. Um, we need to be in contact with other human beings. It's, 
it's in our DNA. It's in our blood. When you isolate us and take us away from that, from that environment, it will drive you nuts and, you know, drive you crazy, quite literally. That's why we need to have more funding in the correctional environment to help with programming and psychology and stuff like that. But that's another issue for another program, possibly getting into that aspect of, uh, of it. Segregation just is just like intake. Segregation is a needed part of working in a functioning safe prison because that's where we keep the bad of the baddest inmates. And when I say the bad of the baddest inmates, I'm talking about wearing body armor to go to work every day, worrying about getting spit on or have shit thrown at you or getting stabbed through, uh, through a food slot um, or whatever the case may be. It is a very real risk, and it does happen. I have known of officers being killed because they did not properly handle a high-risk inmate. I had officer, I had not one of my officers, but a fellow officer in another facility literally got thrown off the top tier of a three-tier wing simply for doing his job. So uh, there is risk factor in a prison. And just like being a cop on the street, your whole goal is to make it home at the end of your shift with no more holes in your body than what the good Lord gave you. And that's that. All right. And another form of segregation that uh, you will find in a prison facility and in a lot of places, an entire prison yard is designated as what's called protective custody. That is the custody level where most sex offenders or child predators, um, high profile celebrity offenders, um, they get assigned to protective custody because the threat against their personal well-being is so high that they needed that extra added security in order to survive prison. Opinions vary on, especially when it comes to uh, child sex offenders. Um, I'm not going to express my personal opinion on them, but but uh, protective custody is another much needed um, aspect of segregation that is that we have to deal with. So and. In protective custody, uh, amenities are the same as general population. The only difference is, is in protective custody, we house only like offenders. In other words, all of the offenders are in protective custody for similar reasons. They're there because of their crimes. Um, they're there because of their social status. Uh, for example, um, a celebrity came into a facility I worked at many years ago. Uh, that offender was automatically placed into protective custody because it was a verifiable threat against his safety. High celebrity profile inmate that comes into facility on a yard. That's, that's straight up cred points right there for any offender to take out a high profile, uh, inmate or celebrity. Uh, they get lots of lots of creds on the yard if they can take one out. And so they have to go into protective custody for their own protection. Um, we're also going to put our transgender offenders in protective custody, um, also housed together. So uh, so we, we just don't separate offenders from general population without a reason. And it's usually for their own protection that we do it, or it's for the protection of the staff or the safety of the facility. All right. All right, we are about out of time for this week's episode. And as always, if you'd like to send us some feedback, comments, ideas, or just general chit-chat, you can send me an email at wytdm at yahoo.com, or you can look us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can send us a message that way. So remember, everybody, until next time, be good, be safe, and always remember, what you think doesn't matter. 